This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, West Ham United lift a trophy for the first time in 43 years, underlining the huge importance of the Europa Conference League. It means everything to their fans. They can't pass Fiorentina thanks to a last-minute goal from Jared Bowen. But what next for manager David Moyes and their talisman Declan Rice? We'll look ahead to the Champions League final between Manchester City and Inter Milan. What, if anything, can stop Pep Guardiola's side from completing the treble? We'll also discuss some transfer news as Jude Bellingham looks likely to go to Real Madrid. Will Harry Kane join him? We'll discuss Lionel Messi's prospective move to Inter Miami after he turned down his former club Barcelona. We'll also talk about Alexis McAllister's move from Brighton to Liverpool. This is The Game. Hello and welcome back to The Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wizencroft alongside Jonathan Northcroft out in Prague, as is Gregor Robertson. Ian Hawkey joins us from the continent as well. So we are dotted around, but at this time of year, as you would expect, finals are the priority. We'll look ahead to a big one in Istanbul shortly, but let's begin in the Czech Republic where West Ham ended a 43-year wait for a major trophy and they won it in dramatic style as well. Jared Bowen scoring the last-minute goal that beat Fiorentina and won them the Europa Conference League. Who said this was a Mickey Mouse trophy? Who said it didn't mean anything to the fans? It meant absolutely everything to both sides who gave everything. And in the end, much like most of this competition, Jonathan, uh, West Ham managed to overpower their opposition in the end. Just an extra bit of nous or gall or speed, whatever it might have been, they managed to get over the air. Massive for David Moyes and, of course, huge for West Ham United. Yeah, Europa Conference League final, I was there. Never thought I'd be uh, saying <laughs> those words. What a, what a brilliant tournament it has turned out to be. And um, the, the triumph, as you say, was kind of typical of... of of West Ham's season in some ways, not always pretty, started off pretty badly. You feared for them at, at certain points, but but what got them across the line, I think, was reserves of, of, of willpower, character, and then just a crucial little bit of quality which this team does possess. I mean, the ball from Lukaku was just sublime to execute that skill at the in the 90th you know, a player who took a while to settle, but I think in, in recent weeks has, has, has shown why he is that Brazil starting midfielder. And Jared Bowen, who has been one of the emblems of the David Moyes era, you know, typical Moyes player, signed from Hull City in the championship, played non-league football when he was younger, do fitness training on his uncle's potato field near Hereford, he was out of the game. I mean, a real David Moyes underdog footballer to... To fit like that was 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 very sort of fitting, really, and and it's felt like a special couple of days here in Prague. The atmosphere in the old town the night before the game was was, was building beautifully. Fans who are here for what is going to be one of the experiences of their their lives, you know, the the, the game itself had so much noise and colour from sets of fans, and so much meaning to it. And 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 you know, as we go back to it, this is a for Conference League, this is a, a competition that Brendan Rodgers sort of sniffly don't even know what it is when when he wasn't in it, you know, when he was in the Europa League with Leicester. And and it's it's acquired a special meaning and a special place in the certainly in the hearts of West Ham fans already. Uh, uh, you know, r- roll on the next instalment of the Europa Conference League. Gregor, you were in the stadium as well. Uh, only 19,500, and of course, lots made about the small crowd inside. But did it feel like more? Did it feel like a big European occasion? Absolutely, it did. All that matters is that, is that it really mattered to both of these teams and these clubs and their fans. That was absolutely strikingly clear. West Ham were in great voice, outstanding atmosphere. Fiorentina played the part as well. Their supporters behind the goal were were fairly raucous for large swathes of the game, particularly after the equalised and it looked like it was all going to go wrong for West Ham. But it, I agree, it felt it did feel like a big night and I know that there have been you know, discussions about the stadium choice and I think UEFA will have learned from this. They didn't know how the, the competition was going to fare uh, and they've probably been surprised by the, kind of, the way that teams have embraced it. And I, I completely agree with Johnny as well that anyone who's sniffy about this has kind of got their priorities completely wrong because all that matters is that it really mattered to them. 
and that was so clear. Jared Bowen was he spoke spoke brilliantly after the game about his journey from Hereford in the conference to a very different conference now. <laughs> um, and you know, every it kind of I was just thinking after the, the after the final whistle that every kind of cup competition there's you know disparity of resources and quality and you know there's always a sort of hierarchy and elite and yes the Premier League clubs are going to be at the top of it in this league but and and every cup competition is kind of reflected in these days in, in team selections and West Ham were able to change their team in the early rounds and uh, Moyes balanced that very well but when it got to the to the moments where they really needed to show up and they the victory against Manchester United just reflected on that was just the perfect timing before the, the semi-final came into view. Kind of basically secured the Premier League status and they were really able to focus on this competition. And that, and from that moment forward, you could see the determination in this in this group to go and achieve something really special for them and the club. And there's no doubt it was special. I'm sure one of you is in a hotel foyer and not actually riding a, a fairground carousel while we're doing the podcast, just in case anyone at home is uh, is slightly put off by the background noise. Um, but Ian, look, just lastly on the game, let's take some kind of measure here because we're going to talk a lot about Declan Rice. We're going to talk more about David Moyes and what this means for West Ham United as a club. But let's box off the game. Fiorentina may well argue that they were the better team. They, they had a great season. They fell in two cup finals, the Coppa Italia and the Europa Conference League as well. Their manager may well be leaving some of their better players, who knows. But it was it was a valiant effort in the end. Uh, the game just didn't go in their direction. Uh, yes, I, I think probably uh, the purist would say that they were the, the nicer watch of the two teams on the night. But, um, you know, that doesn't... That doesn't always win win finals. Yeah, I think there. I think there is a, an idea that this team, which has you know has had a marvelous season in, in in knockouts, as you say, might be broken up now and and will and might lose some of its momentum. I imagine that um, Sofyan Amrabat will move on. He wants to. Um, he had a terrific World Cup. Although I think he was. Um, I mean, he was slightly at fault, wasn't he, with the goal at the end? He he missed his he missed his tackle, which is unusual, and I think it was pos- probably outshone by Declan Rice in that particular position. And you know, there's a there's, there's a general thing. This you know, we've we've got three Italian teams in the three finals, so there's a you know, there's a sense that Syria are, is back in a way. Um, I think probably the likelihood is that. The Italian teams in all the European finals will all be silver medalists in in those European finals, which also shows that Serie A is not quite back to where it used to be thirty years ago. But uh, yeah, I mean, a, you know, a great adventure for for Fiorentina. Well, I, I've got to say, it was sad for Fiorentina. They put in absolutely everything, but it was a huge, huge positive, and I think um, a massive lift for the Europa League, particularly in England to see West Ham United lift it. Um, it. You know, I think it gives the opportunity for other clubs to lift trophies and have those special moments, as you, as you spoke about, Johnny. But it was great to see David Moyes, the way that he celebrated the goal, the way that he was able to put a medal around his, his dad's neck at the end of the game after so much criticism throughout the season. And I know you, you wrote about him in the Sunday Times at the weekend as well about him as a character and, and where he's come from, you know, that, that is all very important. But every single West Ham United fan that I've spoken to is kind of giving David Moyes their, if you like, excited blessing to move on to pastures new. I just wonder whether you agree with that, really. No, I don't really, Hugh. I mean, uh, it's a look at any sort of relationship that he's got with some of the, the supporters. I think it tells us something about where we are with modern football fandom, really, where I wrote about it in a piece today that the the game has become very image-obsessed And when it comes to coaches. Probably because when you, you think of people like Pep Guardiola in particular setting such a high bar where you've got a coach that's you know plays beautiful football and is charismatic and is a philosopher and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And I think... In this age, fans want everything, quite frankly. And David Moyes is, is, probably wouldn't mind me saying this, you know, a manager whose values are rooted in a different age. 
you know, an age where Scottish coaches were great, where in sense pragmatism is important, where getting the job done, persevering, sticking in is important. And maybe these are unsexy values in the modern age, but I think it's only some West Ham fans who feel this way. There's plenty of others who appreciate what he's done. And I must admit, a couple of months ago when there were banners asking for him to go and uh, he was getting criticism from, from supporters and people seeing sacked in the morning. You know, he is an admirer and someone that's known him for a long time felt on his behalf pretty, I thought, you know, you should just leave. If they don't appreciate you, leave. But I think that's in the last few weeks. He's The most important thing for a manager is to feel that they have a team that represents them and that they can they can push and, and will respond to them. And, and he definitely feels that about West Ham. I think he feels that after a difficult season, it's ended in a way where they, they, they've finally got all the bits in place and they're pointing in the right direction again. Things like Lucas Pakatar, who's taken a while to settle, now reveling in the number 10 role, Bowen being back on form, uh, the defence finally having stability. He thinks he can go on and do more, more things with West Ham. And uh, I, I, I think he will stay. He should stay. I think there will, as I say, you touch on, there will be some fans for whom they'll always want the, the, the whatever option they think is going to be more exciting or glamorous. I just say be careful what you wish for to those the, those supporters. But I think the board appreciate. I think a number of a greater number of supporters do appreciate him. And at sixty, still got plenty of fire and appetite to go on and and do. Things. And I think he can go and do all that with, with West Ham. But I know we're going to end up talking about Declan Rice soon. And that is the big, big, for any West Ham manager, whether it's David or not, to, to solve going forward. But solve, and, and, and that's a team that can, can go on and achieve more. Yeah, I know you haven't got long with us, Johnny, because you've got to go and hop on a flight. But mm. listening to those West Ham fans, you know, I do feel some of it is a bit harsh, but only a little bit harsh. You know, lots have complained about the style of play. I think he started to get more out of individual players that he hadn't, the likes of Paqueta um, and the attacking players started to click a little bit more towards the end of the season. I think Mikel Antonio and Declan Rice are going to be big issues to solve because Antonio, yeah, you know, fitness record hasn't been great, but also he makes such a big impact on the team when he is fit and playing compared to Gianluca Scamacca, for example, who, yes, is injured at the moment, but the club outlaid a decent amount of money for. Will he be able to get more out of Scamacca? Will he be seen as a failure of a signing and move on in the summer? And then, of course, Rice is the big one. But you can imagine if if West Ham do get the big fee that they're after, they might be able to get a decent replacement for him in that area. But I have kind of come round to the idea that they're an underperforming side. You know, winning this competition is fantastic. <laughs> But even last night and throughout this competition, the games have been to plenty of the games, particularly at the London Stadium, uh, throughout the campaign. You know, West Ham haven't played anywhere near their level. And certainly in the Premier League, they haven't. They lost 20 games. And, you know, I know you say be careful what you wish for, but I think there are some West Ham fans thinking, you know, could it be much worse? And I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily, you know, agree with that. But I do think there needs to be a big improvement. And whether David Moyes is given... 10, 15 games to show that improvement at the start of the season. You kind of wonder, do they use this trophy instead to bring in someone new to take the club to, if you like, another level? And I'm not sure if there is another level mm. for West Ham United, but but there you go. Well, I I think you're applying these standards to... This is West Ham. This is not going to be a team that plays incredible football and wins and finishes in the top sort of seven or eight in the Premier League every year. That that isn't possible for any club apart from the the the, the big seven. So you've got you've got to be realistic. And I would say that yes, this season was disappointing because David did try and grow the style of play. It didn't work at the beginning of the year. But there were factors behind that. Agard, who's really important with his class at the back, was injured. Pakita took took time to settle it. And Skamaka looked like it might be a miss signing. Uh, and then you've got the decline for like Antonio. Uh, and so there are actually football reasons. But at the end of this season, the team has, has won a European trophy of relegation. It finished sixth and seventh the previous years. Now, I, I get that there's a possible progression where West Ham 
do play amazing football and still succeed and still win stuff. But I would ask, that's, is that not a West Ham who are suddenly going to a different financial level? Um, it's only the big clubs that can have it all. The other clubs have got to cut their cloth. Everyone thinks Brighton have had an amazing season. Brighton did have an amazing season. Everyone thinks Villa had an amazing season under Emery. They did, but that's what West Ham did for the last two years. That's where they finished. And there'll be a time for Brighton and there'll be a time for and there'll be a time for Villa in a year or two's time where, because of the nature of modern football, if they haven't either somehow progressed from where they are now, we'll all be saying, well, they've stood still because it's so unrelenting. We want teams to keep pushing forward all the time. And as I say, it's just not always possible. And, and I, I think that there's a manager there that's already taken West Ham to heights that they could never have imagined when he came in to save them from relegation twice. And I'd say fans should just enjoy it. But of course, that's not the way of things in, in the modern age. No, I totally agree with you. I mean, the final point I was going to make, but you made it was, you know, if expectations have changed at West Ham United, it's been because of the efforts of David Moyes and what he's achieved. Now, three seasons in a row in European competition, two of those in the Europa League, when he took over West Ham United in the midst of a relegation dogfight, I don't think any of us saw it come in. And I think he has to be given time off the back of that. But um firmly in the camp of work to do. And I'm sure with his experience, mm. um, they can make a big improvement this summer because they will be now looking like one of those clubs that is attractive for players. So um, look, a, a brilliant night for David Moyes and his family. Uh, he spoke about how important a, a final is for any manager and lifting it. And he, he got that in the end. And for a, a brilliant career that he's had hundreds of games, if not over a thousand games, as a manager and the clubs that he's been at, you know, he, he's done a brilliant job and it, it is great to see him him lift that trophy and kind of not be remembered, if you like, for that that poor period at Manchester United. So, uh, yeah, great night for David Moyes. Johnny, thank you for being with us. Um, I know you've got to dash mm. off to get your flight. Gregor and Ian Pleasure. still with us. We're going to talk about, of course, Declan Rice next. Actually, before we get to Declan Rice, um, Gregor, what do you think about David Moyes' future? Which camp are you in? I mean, I, I'm being dragged by the West Ham fans towards the idea that this is the chance to bring in someone with fresher ideas, a better style of football. But then I'm, you know, I'm also then clubbed over the head by what I said a few moments ago. I think expectation changes very quickly in football. And maybe the West Ham fans, with all due respect, are getting, you know, ahead of themselves a little bit. I think that those feelings have undoubtedly been prevalent among the West Ham fan base until the last few weeks. I feel I felt like following the, the semi-finals as well when Moyes ran over to do a, a an interview with I think with I think with BT Sport just in the corner kind of it was a good 15 20 minutes after the semi-final second leg ended in Alkmaar and the, the fans were all still there and they were serenading him singing his name. You thought it was quite jarring. You thought this is not you know you wouldn't have imagined possibly seeing that like 6 weeks ago. And then Again, before the before the game last night, I mean, the fans were, the stadium was nearly full in the West Ham end, like an hour before kickoff. Moyes walked out and he got a huge, huge cheer. I think that, like, they have given, he has given them something that they haven't experienced, most of these fans in their lifetime. Or if they have, it was, it was you know, 43 years ago. So I think that the, the conversation is, is really put to bed. I do. I think among the, the certainly among the match going West Ham fans, I think they still have those sort of doubts about the future under Moyes in terms of a long-term future and the style of play and what they want West Ham to be. But he's already taken them, as Johnny said, somewhere that they never thought they would be. Or it was only if they did, it was only in the wildest dreams. And it shouldn't be in the wildest dreams because their potential is enormous uh, with the size of the stadium they have now and their fan base and some investment coming in from, from Kratinsky, they should be aspiring to, to, to greater things. But Moyes has already taken them certainly in a huge step towards that. And I think he'll, he'll be manager of West Ham next season. But if Moyes is staying, and, and if there's a 99% chance that Moyes is staying, there's probably a 99% chance that Declan Rice is going. Um, speaking to our friends over at TalkSport and Jim White today, David Sullivan, uh, the West Ham owner, has basically been speaking about Declan Rice actually saying that it's cost him £10 million in wages to stay with West Ham 
that he turned down £200,000 a week just over 18 months ago. He also said, and I think this is maybe even more important, that it is now time for Rice to go, that they cannot keep a player that doesn't want to be at the club. So maybe change that 99 to 100. But Ian, you know, as Declan Rice departs, he departs as a West Ham captain who lifted a European trophy. There could not have been a better and maybe more fitting end for him at the club. Uh, absolutely. Um, I mean, he was, uh, you know, he was, he, he's been terrific in this competition. He's by all accounts a, a, a really excellent leader in, you know, in all the aspects of the job. And of course, he's still very, very young. And, you know, he's, he's, he's obviously genuinely very fond of the the club and appreciative of everything they've given him and you know it's 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 a return to that the great west ham tradition of being you know of being developers of of talent and he's a wonderful figurehead for that but but yeah i mean he above all has to acknowledge what every everybody else seems to think is that you know he is he is ready for uh, for bigger things, I, th- I mean, it, it, it's it, you know he really is. Just just thinking of him compared with Amrabat last night, who is a very very admired central midfielder. I think Declan Rice is a is a better footballer and will you know will grow into an even even greater central midfielder. And uh, I suspect he's going to make uh, a, a wise choice of where to go next. And I think we probably all believe that that's uh, that's just up the road somewhere in London and to Arsenal. I don't know. Bayern Munich might test that metal. Uh, we shall see. I thought Declan Rice, uh, look, I think it's been a long, long goodbye, hasn't it? Has been way too good. And this is no disrespect to West Ham United. I'm sure their fans will agree with it to be playing for a side that is struggling in relegation. I think a lot of the West Ham fans would feel that without him, they might, they, they may well have been relegated this year because he has still managed to be consistent in his performances and clearly is a leader on the pitch. And yeah, I thought it was fantastic to see him. It was a very tough position for him having to answer all those questions about his future after the game. And fingers crossed for him, it can be resolved very, very quickly, whoever it might be. But um, he is an exceptional player. And um, I've wanted to see him at the biggest club possible with respect to Arsenal, who are a huge football club, Bayern Munich, maybe on a slightly different level. Wherever he ends up next, I want to see him excel because... Look, we could talk about Jude Bellingham a little bit later on as well, and maybe Harry Kane too, you know, to see England players playing for huge European clubs is something that that I do want to see, to be perfectly honest. And it's not all about the Premier League for me, as I'm sure most of you will agree. So um, wherever Declan Rice goes, he's going to be a fantastic player. And it was a great night, all in all, for West Ham. Gregor Rice leaving will leave a hole. Johnny alluded to it a little bit earlier on. You know, there are things for David Moyes to do to improve. Just finally on them, what do you see as the future being? Back in the Europa League, maybe with David Moyes in charge, almost certainly without Declan Rice in the team. Can they go from strength to strength here? Or or I say strength to strength. They did lose 20 Premier League games, so um, relative strength to strength. Well, they they undoubtedly need to improve, (laughs) need need to be much better in the Premier League next year if if Moyes wants to keep his job and you know another year of juggling the two two competitions Thursday night football and Sunday football is going to be a, a challenge and I think they do need recruits I would say like clearly the hole left by De- Declan Rice is going to be almost impossible to fill not just in terms of his his leadership on the pitch but his, just his character and his you know it's, it's almost hard to imagine West Ham like as the same club without Declan Rice in the at the heart of the pitch so that's going to be a huge, huge issue for them, and also a goal scorer. I think you know Johnny alluded to it. seeing Paqueta kind of settle. He's actually brought out brought out the best in the players around them too. Him and Ben Rama linked up brilliantly last night in the, in a few times in the first half, and they have done that um, in recent weeks quite well. You know, on the kind of counter attack as well, like moments where Paqueta finds a gap that no one else really sees, or or. That makes an exchange with with Ben Rama and, and West Ham are off and on a counter. But even then, they don't really have anyone else with the. They have Bowen coming off the right, but they need they need someone else through the middle. That's a that's a big area for them uh, because they can't rely on Antonio, and I think Skamaka might might well leave. So there are issues, undoubtedly there are issues, but the future for West Ham should be bright. As I said before, they're a huge club with a huge fan base. 
in a kind of fast developing part of East London and they have every right to think that they should be challenging in, to be playing European football season after season. Got the result in the end, got the trophy to uh, 43 years since the FA Cup in 1980. It's been a long wait for those West Ham United fans and they lift a European trophy, a major trophy once again. And, uh, and I'm not sure they're going to care about the performance at all. It was scruffy. I mean, they were not great on the night, to be perfectly honest. Uh, one thing to clear up, it was a slight annoyance for me. I didn't think the penalty was a handball, I have to say. Super slow motion. People were like, oh, he put his hand towards the ball. I mean, I think he was generally trying to shield where the ball was going from Jared Bowen. Uh, I think it was Baragi, the defender, puts his arm out. Ball comes off Bowen at, what, less than a yard. Hits his fingertips. We've had a lot of controversial handballs of late. You know, that is one that I would say shouldn't have been given, to be perfectly honest. I didn't think it was a clear and obvious error either. I don't think it was a deliberate handball. The, you know, the only the only thing is it might you could argue that Bowen had jested the ball across him and without the hand, the hand the hand essentially knocked the ball back to the goalkeeper. Yeah. So Bowen, I think, probably would have got across him and put, and then would have an opportunity to score. So I completely agree with you. It wasn't a clear and obvious error. If I'm the defender, I'm, I'm absolutely gutted that that's given us a handball because there's not much you can do about it. But West Ham lost a, and Bowen lost an advantage. So it was one of those. One of those you one can see far too often now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we'll leave it with there because, again, these ones are actually falling into the category of seeing them given now. <laughs> I mean, there's so many of them. So... uh I don't think it's the big, big shock um, that maybe it would have been. But, um, yeah, I think it's a tough one for the defender to take. It's a fortunate one for West Ham United, but they will take it. And they'll take the trophy uh, back to East London as well. So we should see them parading that trophy um, in a couple of hours as we speak. Um, If not, you're watching it as you listen to this, I imagine. Um, Right, we're going to talk about another European final. We're going to talk about some activity when it comes to transfers as well. Another English team heading off this time to Istanbul. Manchester City are next. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So Manchester City are off to Istanbul. Pack your bags. City will be taking over. So will the Inter Milan fans, to be perfectly honest. And I want to say it's a mouth-watering Champions League final ahead of us. But um, one Manchester City fan so confident that he's already got the treble 2023 tattooed on the back of his calf, uh, including the Champions League trophy. And, um, you know, I want to call the guy an idiot. But he's probably right, to be honest. He's just saved himself some time. There's going to be a backlog of Manchester City Champions League tattoos next week. Am I too presumptuous in that? I guess that's going to be the conversation, really, because, you know, I was thinking, do we, de- do we delve into the tactics of Pep Guardiola? Where we, I, I reckon I could name the 11 pretty much, bar possibly one player. And, you know, a City playing well enough to win? Well, of course they are. They're playing brilliantly, although they weren't at their absolute best against Manchester United, you almost think they can't put in two mediocre performances. And by the way, they still won the FA Cup final. And then you have to think about Inter Milan and what they might bring to the party. And maybe that is the only place where we can salvage this because maybe they have been written off too soon. Maybe that's the conversation to have because um, looking ahead to a game like this, it should be closer. I cannot remember a feeling going into the Champions League final that one side had it so far in their favour. And does that maybe count against it in terms of the excitement and maybe even the spectacle? Let's get into it. Ian, I'll start with you, because maybe the question of Inter Milan being written off is the biggest one. What do you think? Uh, uh, yes, I mean, it, it, it looks a very, from from this perspective, a very one-sided final, more one-sided than, than I can remember for a for for quite a long time but then again i mean who i'm trying to think of of clubs who who might have 
reached a final against Manchester City at the moment where we wouldn't be saying something similar. They do seem so far ahead of everybody else. I'm into into pretty reconciled to their their status. Um, they quite like it, um, pressure off, all that sort of thing. And you know they have they have been really effective in in knockout competitions under Simone Inzaghi. So I think they will they will play very pragmatically. Um, hope that their strengths and you know they are a few. They're, they're good set pieces. They've, they've got quite a efficient counter attacking strategy. Can ambush City. And that you know that they can frustrate City for long enough that that City lose some of their rhythm and lose some of their their pretty impeccable control. They they will have watched the well they have watched the FA Cup final and seen signs of sort of, of encouragement there. You know that City can have slightly more mediocre days, but uh, yeah, I'll be very surprised and and I'll, I would be surprised to to see that gentleman having to erase his tattoo. I don't want to make it a redundant conversation, to be perfectly honest. We can't call it a foregone conclusion, can we, Gregor? What, what in your eyes can stop Manchester City? Let's call it that, because they, it's not like they win every single game, virtually all of them, but not every single game. So the teams that have stopped them have managed to get the better of them. What do they do well? There's not been that many recently. <laughs> uh, well, in fairness, Brighton, Brighton, in the way that they played with like real bravery and you know, as they as they do so well, kind of invited the press and and played through them. Look, Inter Milan aren't going to do that, but they did do something along those lines against AC Milan, and that they played really deep. The back three were getting on the ball, kind of inside their own box, and they bypassed midfield essentially. But it wasn't like hoof forward balls. They played really incisive balls through the through the lines, or they kind of floated really good passes into Ed and Zeko. And I, you know, I think that's probably going to be that's going to form the basis of their tactical plan in the in the final too. They'll they'll try and make the game bitty. They will try and win fouls. They will, as Ian said, try and win set pieces, and they, they pose a real threat from them. But they will also have to be content to sit deep and soak up pressure, and at times be brave enough to to play those passes or for someone like Bastoni to carry the ball out of defence. So that you know, th- there's no such thing as a foregone conclusion in a in a final. It's, things can happen. Players can make mistakes. So can officials. <laughs> it looked that way in the in the in the Conference League final last night for a while that the that West Ham weren't going to get any decisions, and you thought it's going to be one of those nights that that those things can happen. It's just part of human nature and and football. So it's certainly not a foregone conclusion. But clearly, the way this conversation is framed is a result of Manchester City being clear favourites and the superior team. So it's just about them performing at their best on the day. And I think, I do believe if they do that, they'll win. Ian, help me out. Inter Milan at their best, will they hurt Manchester City and who will? Well, again, looking back to to the semi-final against their neighbours, against a fairly young AC Milan team, they hurt them by going ahead so early and then doubling the lead so early. They did it via a set piece which wasn't properly marked now all of this all of this it could happen against against Manchester City who you know will there, there will be nerves there there'll be nerves there because of the you know the the exasperating history in this competition the atmosphere and so on so these scenarios could be repeated i mean i would be astonished to see city go goalless through 90 minutes um and then we have another problem. How you know can can Inter score two or more? Difficult, but yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, an early ambush. Um, and as Gregor said, you know, if they can if they can break up the play a lot, and, and you know, they've got some they've got some very savvy players to do that. If Nicolo Barella has a fantastic game and manages to to run the midfield for periods, I don't think I don't think we can realistically say that Inter are going to run the midfield against against Manchester City for, for the entirety of the game. But yeah, you know, it's it's moments. You know, these finals are very often settled on on little moments. But yeah, it would it would require into, you know, one to one to eleven and off the bench to to all perform to their absolute maximum, I think. They also have an outstanding goalkeeper who I think has got the most most clean sheets in the competition and you know produced a 
a remarkable display against AC Milan. Um, so we are we are stretching it, aren't we? We're trying to find reasons why Milan can win, but these are the reasons. And over the course of a ninety-minute final, as Ian says, it's that's foisted with huge pressure. It's absolutely possible that Inter Milan pull off a shock. We haven't even really contemplated it, I mean, and I mean by we, I mean fans in England. I mean it was billed kind of. Manchester United's chance of beating them in the FA Cup final as the way to stop the treble fans, you know, really writing off into Milan. And um, everyone knows that in, in the past, I've been critical of Pep Guardiola, possibly Manchester City as well in terms of their mentality in these games and crumbling under the biggest moments, particularly in the Champions League. But you kind of feel now that they're at the end of a journey where they are they are absolutely the complete package now. I don't see the mentality being disturbed. The experience is obviously there. The disappointment, the need to avenge that, um, you know, everything leads to towards them, them winning the Champions League. And even tactically, I don't think there is a tweak for Pep Guardiola to make to surprise Simone and Zaghi. And I don't think there is a tweak to make that could possibly improve his team. Um, the only debate in my mind is whether Manuel Akanji or Nathan Ake starts. I mean, the rest of the eleven in my mind is absolutely set. And I think they will, they'll cause damage. Even Erling Haaland being quite quiet in the FA Cup final is an ominous sign for me in terms of what he might produce this weekend. Because again, you can't really keep him quiet over 180 minutes of football. So I just don't see how Inter Milan do it. And we can talk about it on Monday, but it would be a treble uh, and it would be a huge, I think, final point in the takeover, you know, the Abu Dhabi group's ownership of Manchester City, what they've been aiming for, standing on top of the mountain, not just in terms of European football, but with the treble, you know, doing something that Manchester City as a club still might not replicate for many more, many more years, let alone... Other clubs in England, yes, there have been trebles on the continent, but it's few and far between. And I think it's interesting because winning one Champions League alone won't won't put Manchester City in the conversation of great clubs, but winning the treble probably will. That's the magnitude of of this final at the weekend and and, and what winning it would be. So um, again, we can reflect on that on Monday if you like, but uh, I want to give you guys a better preview. I want to say that there is something in here that makes me think Manchester City won't win and I just can't see Inter Milan beating them. As solid as they are, defensively rigid as they've been, and the fact that they've been together mainly for a, a, a few seasons now, I think they have far more weaknesses than, than Manchester City. Um, it's very clear, and who knows, we might all be stunned, and Inter Milan might lift the, the Champions League, which would be huge for them. We'll talk about that context on Monday if they do it. But um, score predictions from this point, Ian? 3-1 uh, City. Gregor, 2-0, City. Listen, we're, we're going to stay basically with European competition, I think. Maybe reflect a little bit on Saudi Arabia, I guess. No, we're not going to be talking about golf, although maybe it plays a little bit of a part. We're, we're seeing kind of some big names being linked to moves abroad. Because of moves to Saudi Arabia, it's kind of meaning... It kind of means that there will be possibly a transfer merry-go-round in Europe this summer. But I guess kicking it all off, Jude Bellingham agreeing a deal, if you like, the club's agreeing a fee for him, £88.5 million, could go up to 115 or so million with add-ons for a 19-year-old England midfielder uh, who, of course, started at Birmingham, has been at Dortmund for the past couple of years and is on his way to the biggest club in the world and uh, it has it has to be marked really because if this were a movie I don't think we could write it I think the, the script writers at goal couldn't have um couldn't have written this any better I just almost can't believe just the career that he's having just the trajectory that he's on and, and possibly the player that he might he might become but we still have to ask really is this the right move for Jude Bellingham who was linked with a number of big clubs in the Premier League there are big big names that have been eaten up and spat out by Real Madrid. Eden Hazard leaving the club this week after his move, which is well over £100 million as well. Um, is Jude Bellingham going to the right club in Real Madrid, Ian? What do you think? Uh, yes, I think I think, I think think we all know he's he's rigorous, studious individual. And so he will have made 
his list of pros and cons, and, and, and the pros are many. He's not frightened of playing outside England, clearly. Um, he, he's been extraordinarily individually successful at Dortmund, being given leadership very, very young. So there's nothing at Real Madrid that should intimidate him. Um, and he can look around the learnings that he can do there. But most likely, Luka Modric is still around, who is a, a fantastic companion to have for a young midfielder. Uh, Tony Kroos will be around, and he will he will essentially be coming into their into their slipstream alongside several very young, talented uh, midfielders from Fede Valverde, Edu Camavinga, Aurelien Charmeni. So you know that's that's that that's a nice it's a nice unit um, it's it's peers to to thrive with and um, it, I I I would hope that he's had some sort of reassurance from the club that something resembling a centre forward might be arriving uh, who he can he can play off and and serve so but but yes I think I, I think it's absolutely the right move and he is so young that you know he can still he can still forecast a Premier League career ahead if he wants to move to England at 23 or 24 if if that's what what he feels is going to be the the right future step or you know he can become he can become a Real Madrid icon in the way Luka Modric did you know Real Madrid will will always be competing to the business end of of the Champions League they don't have the resources of of some Premier League clubs but they have they have you know they have the best access to uh, resources of any club in in southern Europe, and yeah, I think you know he'll 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 benefit from all the things you get when you when you play in Spain a bit more time on the ball perhaps than he's used to, um, and yeah, I, I I think it I think it ticks all the right boxes. Any downfall to this move, Gregor? Certainly not for Jude Bellingham. It's extraordinary as, as you point, laid that out at the start. A nineteen-year-old English midfielder is going to the biggest club really in the world in Real Madrid and also that in doing so you have very very little doubt or worry that you'll be able to handle it he's like I I really I'm just kind of struggling to think of any player said this during the World Cup that I really can't can't think of any players with a mentality like Jude Bellingham at at such a young age certainly not an English player and I'm really struggling to think of many players at all you know, the combine the, the talent he has with the mentality he has, the kind of desire and ability to grab a game by the scruff of the scruff of the neck or haul his team, his club, his nation forward that very the very highest level against the, the best opposition out there. And he did it. And I've, I see no reason why he won't do it for Real Madrid. And as Ian said, he can absolutely still have a, a lengthy career in the Premier League. This is a this is a huge opportunity. And it's it's another brave move. You know, he took a, a hugely brave move in going to Borussia Dortmund and it turned out to be a, a fantastic decision for him. And this is another brave move in in going to La Liga, going to the biggest club in the world and believing that he can make an impact there. I, I, th- I kind of think he will. Can't wait to see it. Can't wait to buy a Real Madrid shirt with you belling on the back. Uh, can't wait to see the resurgence of La Liga in this country and hopefully more people watching Spanish football, particularly if Harry Kane ends up there as well. So um, imagine, imagine it would be box office stuff. Yeah. I mean, uh, you yeah. know, again, just underline the fact that there'd be two English, maybe you'd be able to tell me when, when's the last time two English players played for. Real oh, players. okay. Yeah. Yes. Uh, um, a, a famously fun era. <laughs> when you had Beckham and and Michael Owen, and let's not forget Jonathan Woodgate. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Of course. Of course. That's yeah, sloppy yeah. of me. But um, not really. Not you know. We're not forecasting the same impact this time, though. If that was to happen, would we? Um, well, Michael Owen at Real Madrid was. You know, the, we could go on all day with stories from that. That was a that was a peculiar episode. David Beckham at Real Madrid was uh, was overall uh, pretty pretty successful. Uh, but I mean, actually, yeah, an interesting comparison. Michael Owen had, you know, won the won the Ballon d'Or, but um, I think if you if you can sort of compare across ages, I'd say Bellingham Kane is maybe a slightly higher quality combination than Beckham Owen. I'll probably get shouted down for that. But, no, ooh, I would agree. Ooh, 
You'd agree, would you? Listen, Jude, as much as I love him, come on. He's got to go a little way now to, to come on. David Beckham, just a little bit. I mean, I'm not going to say he's not going to be better than him by the end of his career. I mean, it, look, it is box office. Um, and I'm sure we all want to see it. But I think Owen's comparable with Kane, to be perfectly honest. Goal scoring records, exceptional. Okay, Owen's body didn't didn't last, of course. But then you've got Bex, Bex, David Beckham. I think it's pretty equal. I'll be perfectly honest. I think it's pretty equal, but it would draw me to La Liga. I would be watching every Real Madrid game. The, the thing is, I'm kind of more of a Barcelona man, Ian. Always have been, you know, it's it's down to my politics. But um, I, I thought they might have Lionel Messi, my favourite player of all time. He's on his way to Inter Miami, supposedly. Don't know how much truth there is in it. But to be perfectly honest, aside from whether Messi goes there or not. You know, it seemed like he wanted to go back to Barcelona. We felt that maybe they could concoct something despite all of the financial troubles. One of the most hysterical things in Barcelona's history is a statement that has come out on a player who doesn't play for them moving to a club other than Barcelona. Quite stinging from Joanne Laporta as well, to be perfectly honest. What did you make of it? Well, I, I mean, there, there's been been so much smoke and mirrors around Messi's supposed comeback to uh, to Barcelona, and and you know we are now in a, a long blame game, which which Lionel Messi really does not want to be involved in. He doesn't want to upset Barca fans because they love him, and he and he loves them for all their history together. But I, I mean, I, you know, how realistic this ever was from from Barca's side, who was actually driving it, um, how much the the fanfare around the possibility was was a mission in itself, without the genuine belief that it could happen, uh, will will all come out in the in the wash. But um, as Messi has has pointed out, and as those people who are close to him uh, have been clear for some time. Barcelona told him they couldn't afford him two years ago. They are under similar constraints now. So in a sense, nothing has really moved on. And, and you know, and, and he was uh, he was genuinely in a position where, you know, he like he liked the idea of it. Uh, he likes living in Barcelona. His family do, among other things. But he was being presented with a set of accounts which says so and so so and so so and so will have to leave so and so so and so will have to take a pay cut for us to to make it viable for you to come back now that's that's quite a burden to put on 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 somebody and and I you know he was fed up with it and and had lost belief that it was a a realistic possibility i think some surprise that he's chosen florida rather than the enormous amount of money he was being offered to go to saudi arabia but i you know, I, I think also, he he didn't really want to become a sideshow in in the continuing Ronaldo versus Messi story. So yeah, I mean, I I, I, I think I think we take at face value that that his decision to go to Florida, which which yeah, you know, he's clear that that's where he wants to go. And unless there's some some late turnaround in the terms, that is where he will go. Um, is is based on family and and you know perhaps a lessening of of chasing status in, in, in club football anymore. I mean, it, it's a big moment. It's a big moment. Lionel Messi will not play in a, in a European competition again, which is, you know, it feels significant. Just in case you think someone's at your door, there's work going on at Shea Hawkey, okay? Don't, no one be disturbed by the banging in the background, all right? <laughs> Very finally, um, it's one of the teammates of Lionel Messi, international teammates, Alexis McAllister, who we have to talk about next because he has been confirmed uh, leaving Brighton, going to Liverpool. We believe his release clause was paid just £35 million for Jurgen Klopp to begin his midfield rebuild with a player of real quality. The question is, does Alexis McAllister, maybe not alone, but does he take a big step towards solving the issues and taking Liverpool back to where they have been in the not too distant past is he enough is he good enough that's a question mark that I think a lot of fans have as much as he's there's kind of a hype around him you know we've seen him for quite some time in the Premier League now neat tidy even high quality player but yeah still work to do for Jurgen Klopp to turn him into the kind of player that will win you the Premier League that's my humble opinion what do you think Gregor yeah not, not he's not 
on his own a player who's going to solve all Liverpool's woes, but he's certainly uh, a very strong addition to to the midfield. And I agree with you; he's not. He combines kind of craft and industry. He's very very industrious, and he's got a lovely touch, and he's creative, and you know he can create and score goals. But he's not the kind of dynamic midfielder that you would characterise, you know, Liverpool's midfield as having been under Jurgen Klopp. He's not really of that ilk. So it will be interesting to see how he does. I, I, look, I, th- I think it's an excellent sign, particularly if that's true and that the figure is is, is so low. It's, it's an outstanding piece of business. But I agree with you. I, I have some question marks of whether, whether he kind of is a natural fit in a kind of midfield engine room, which is, a, is just that for Liverpool. It's, it's, it's the, the lungs and legs, uh, first and foremost. So it might point to a, a little bit more of a kind of evolution to, to Liverpool's play. Do you agree, Ian? Uh, yeah, I, I, I do. Uh, but I also understand why there are question marks. It, I mean, it's been his ascent in English football, but, but you know, in his career has been really quite quick. He was a good player off the bench for Brighton not so long ago. And now, you know, he's a, he's a world champion. I mean, you can, yeah, you can see why uh, why he appeals to Jurgen Klopp. As 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 Gregor said, he has he has a lot of energy. He will press fiercely, um, and and he and he has that creativity as well. Yeah, so I, I you know I, I can I can see why he looks like a like a very good signing, particularly for that that price, and and why he would he would look at Liverpool and think, yeah, that's that's my sort of game. But yeah, yeah, he's not going to um, he's not going to do it all on his own. He's been given the number ten shirt. No pressure, Alexis. Uh, then, but um, listen, I, I like it. I like this move a lot, um, as particularly for the price. You know, Liverpool have spoken about um, the kind of you know we can't get Jude Bellingham because we can't spend silly money, and we maybe need to be a little bit more frugal. You know, to begin this rebuild of the midfield with a thirty-five million pound player who can certainly deal with the Premier League and probably is going to be good enough to improve in the coming years to really be a great addition to your side is a fantastic piece of business. I am officially jealous of this move and look forward to seeing how it pans out for Alexis McAllister and Liverpool. But keen to see them add another couple, I have to say, because I think maybe not a rebuild and a complete overhaul of that midfield is probably what's most needed. Um, And we'll see where it takes Liverpool next season. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure to be with you. I'm kind of not looking forward to the next few days. I'm not even going to say I'm looking forward to the next podcast. I'll be there. Okay, I'll be there. But I don't want to be there unless Inter Milan win, of course. And then I will be there with bells on. We will see. Yes, Manchester City against Inter Milan, the Champions League final to come from Istanbul. You can follow all the coverage and all the build-up in the Times. And you'll get, of course, the reaction in the Sunday Times this weekend as well. So download the Times app. Make sure you're subscribed to that. You can also subscribe uh, to the game online. It's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. We will see you on Monday. Fingers crossed. Hey, Man City fans, see you then. 